Chapter Two of Forty Thousand Miles Over Land and Water. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Betty B. Forty Thousand Miles Over Land and Water by Ethel Gwendolyn Vincent. New York, Hudson River, and Niagara Falls. As we drove over the rough streets of New York in the early hours of Sunday morning, it appeared as a city of the dead. There was no sign of life as our horses toiled along Broadway and up Fifth Avenue to the Buckingham Hotel, where we had secured rooms. This hotel, though comfortable, had the disadvantage of being too far uptown for short sojourners, but it has the merit of being conducted on the European system. That is, the rooms and meals are charged for separately. The American plan is to make an inclusive charge of from four to five dollars a day, and it is often troublesome only being able to have meals in the dining room between certain hours. Besides, it is pleasant to be able to visit the restaurants of New York, which are admirable and equal, if not superior, to those of Paris. Delmonico's, where we dined one evening, is particularly excellent. We were glad when eleven o'clock came and we could go to St. Thomas Church, close by it is one of the most frequented of the many beautiful churches of all denominations in new york and of very fine interior proportions upon the dark oak carving is reflected in many hues the rich stained glass the service was rendered according to the ritual of the english church which is followed by the episcopal church of america they succeed in america in uniting a non-ceremonial service with a bright and hearty one. We listened to a very powerful sermon on St. Paul on the Hill of Mars, in which the eloquent preacher boldly declared that the political honesty of the Athenians 2,000 years ago was superior to that of the United States of today. On our way back, we went into the Roman Catholic Cathedral, which was just opposite to our windows at the Buckingham, a very large marble building, but still unfinished. We found four reporters waiting at the hotel to interview my husband. He had eluded them on the landing stage, but they would take no denial here, and we were much harassed by others in the course of the day. Our luggage arrived at noon. It is almost a necessity to employ the express company for the conveyance of baggage throughout America, as the hackney carriages and hotel omnibuses are not prepared to take it. The charges are very high, and it is often extremely inconvenient having to wait two, three, or even four hours for it after arrival in a town. The geography of New York is exceedingly simple and is followed in nearly every American city. Avenues traverse the length of the town, which are called first, second, or third avenues, and the streets which intersect them are also numbered consecutively, so that you have Third Street, Fifth Avenue, and know that it is the third street from the commencement of Fifth Avenue. The houses are built in blocks, and for the most part in the upper portion of New York, of dark red sandstone. There are ample means of cheap locomotion by two elevated railways and innumerable tramways. Each of the former runs the whole length of the city, a distance of 10 miles. They were built by rival companies who afterwards amalgamated. A double line is laid upon iron piers in the center of the street on a level with the third stories of the houses 
on each side one wonders how the necessary powers to build such a line were obtained but in free america vested interests and damage to property are not taken into account when financiers have a scheme to carry out it is said that the value of the surrounding houses has been increased rather than otherwise by the proximity of the elevated more curiously the tram lines running below it and which were formerly insolvent are now paying well the uniform fare is ten cents except after four o'clock on sundays when it is reduced to five cents the same as the fare of the trams the train consists of an engine and four light coaches all of one class and fitted with comfortable cane seats they succeed each other every five minutes a conductor is on the platform of every carriage and opens the iron gate at the end as soon as the train stops there is a marked absence of all confusion and haste partly attributable to there being no collection of tickets which are dropped into a box on the platform immediately after purchase cabs are few in number and very expensive they charge four and a half dollars or nearly one pound from the quay to the hotels without luggage and one dollar a mile or a dollar and a half per hour independently of these exorbitant prices driving is very unpleasant from the streets being paved with blocks of granite and being kept in shocking repair it is alleged that the extremes of climate prevent the use of any other material but there is probably more truth in the statement that the money voted by municipal councils for their paving finds its way into other channels washington and boston were the only towns we afterwards saw with good pavements without ruts or holes above the thoroughfares is a rows of telegraph and telephone wires and poles and standards abound in the streets at nearly every house there is a telephone to put the inmates in connection with some place of business or some relative in the afternoon we went to trinity church which may be called the cathedral of new york the service was just ending and the choir was filing out of the chancel under a blaze of golden glory from the sun shining through the east end window singing the hymn angels of jesus angels of light singing to welcome the pilgrims of the night the voices grew fainter and fainter and finally died away on the breathless stillness of the air then the huge organ blown by electricity pealed forth and the spell was broken mr vanderbilt mr astor and the stuart family live in gorgeous palaces and one is struck how even this republic cannot prevent a monopoly of property and an accumulation of wealth mr vanderbilt has three adjoining houses forming a block in fifth avenue for himself and his married children the squares and gardens are well kept and it is pleasant to see them all open full of people sitting in them without the railings which make london square so gloomy and of so little pleasure even to those who have the entree we drove round central park a perfect triumph of landscape gardening with but little help from nature the mall and alleys were thronged with gay crowds listening to the band and boats were plying on the lake there were not many carriages the fashionable world having fled from the fagging heat of new york but those we saw had servants in livery a comparatively recent innovation and one much disapproved of by the people the crossbar wagons in general use weighing little over two hundred weight with their skeleton wheels 
whirl along at a great pace but the horses all have a check rein passing over the head which is far more cruel than even our gag bearing rein monday july fourteenth we began our wanderings by going over the beautiful brooklyn bridge which unites new york with its monster suburb the home of half a million of people principally of the working classes of whom a large proportion are irish it is a marvelous structure the finest suspension bridge ever built and a mile and a quarter long so graceful and light is the curve it describes that from a distance it seems to be a spider's web suspended in mid-air we had a long tram journey through the dull and dirty streets to greenwood cemetery the great burial place of new york a gateway of much beauty marks the entrance and over the center arch are the words weep not for the dead shall be raised a granite obelisk in the center of a grass plot attracts our attention below it lie the bodies of one hundred three persons who perished in the burning of the brooklyn theatre in eighteen seventy six under that green mound what a mass of human passions were laid to rest some of the monuments are very finely conceived in design and execution others were grotesque and ugly nothing however mars the beauty of the whole the shining river running through this valley of the dead the surroundings bright with marble flowers and shrubs only a sweet garden where the people come and walk in the evening cool watching the sun sinking over the harbor and thinking it may be of how they too will likewise join those who lie at rest here in the afternoon we paid a visit to wall street the scene of so many fortunes lost and won the din in the stock exchange was deafening and the appearance of the frantic yelling speculators anything but attractive the stores or shops in broadway are very fine inside but the windows are not so well set out as in paris or london the goods for sale are also more general in character and nearly double in price this arises from the large duties or imposts in a great measure but also because the unit of a dollar four shillings two pence is so high it seems as easy to ask one dollar as one shilling or one franc and the former coin scarcely goes farther than the latter throughout the states the new york herald times world and other papers come out with long accounts of the interviews given yesterday they went into the most precise details of dress manners and speech tuesday july fifteenth we had a pleasant morning in seeing the magnificent armory of the seventh regiment of the national guard the seventh regiment includes in its ranks some of the best men in new york and the national guard corresponds exactly to the volunteer force of england the drill hall is three hundred feet long and two hundred feet broad unbroken by a pillar and large enough to maneuver a battalion having a solid oaken floor so constructed as to prevent reverberation in marching each company has a room for itself and the officers room the library and the veterans room where those who have left the regiment come to meet their sons and relatives now serving are beautiful apartments richly furnished in the afternoon sir roderick cameron kindly took us over to his charming place on staten island it is beautifully wooded and when the salt marshes are drained and the mosquitoes reduced in numbers his farm will no doubt be the site of a populous suburb wednesday july sixteenth 
By nine o'clock we were waiting on the shores of the Hudson River for one of the floating palaces which ply to and from Albany. The C. Vibard was seen presently coming, a magnificent vessel of colossal size, with three decks towering one above the other, and yet drawing but six feet of water. What we were particularly struck with on these river and lake steamers was that although there is no distinction of class, no inconvenience whatever results. All is orderly and quiet. Everybody is well-dressed and well-behaved. Indeed, throughout the States, rowdyism seems to be as absent as pauperism, and the deference paid to ladies might well be imitated in older countries. They have a separate entrance at hotels and a separate guichet at post offices and railway stations. A lady may travel with perfect comfort alone and walk in the streets without fear of any annoyance. A fresh wind dappled the blue sky and raised the muddy waters of the grand old Hudson. Across from New Jersey and Hoboken, those thriving suburbs of New York, came the busy hum of life. The well-wooded hills were clothed with villas, whose domes or towers peep out from amongst the dense foliage. Here and there, standing in a little park, were chalets, or a cottage with gilt minarets, or, even in still more incongruous taste, a Chinese pagoda. It is here the merchants from the great city take their rest and pleasure, within earshot and easy reach of their familiar haunts around Wall Street. On the opposite shore, the great wall of basaltic trap rock, known to the early settlers by the name of the Great Chip Rock, but to their more practical successors as the Palisades, forms an impenetrable wall, rising in a sheer precipice from the river, a height of from 300 to 600 feet. Meandering along by its mighty brother, unseen on the other side, there is another river, running at a lower level. Historical associations crowd upon us as we sail up between the broad banks, stretching from the memory of the early band of settlers who under Hendrik Hudson, the Dutchman, made the first voyage of discovery up the river to which he afterwards gave his name, to the little villages of Tappan and Terrytown, glowing with the memories of the brave but ill-fated Major Andre. Need I repeat his well-known story? In the dead of night he landed from the vulture at Stony Point to meet Arnold, who had turned traitor, to arrange with him for the surrender of West Point, the key of the position. Andre was captured in returning by land, searched, the papers found on him, and executed, to the sorrow of both armies, whilst Arnold, escaping to the vulture, was rewarded with six thousand pounds and became a brigadier general in the British army. Many know well the monument afterwards erected to Andre in Westminster Abbey. Sunnyside, a little white cottage, the home of Washington Irving, lies on the hill, almost hidden by the surrounding trees. The front is covered with ivy grown from a sprig that Sir Walter Scott sent from Abbotsford. Sleepy Hollow, the scene of so many of Washington Irving's charming romances, is quite near. Every side of life is here represented. All manner of men have found their greatest happiness in the quiet beauty of the Hudson's banks. Besides authors and actors, such as Forrest, the great tragedian, science, in the person of Professor Morse, of telegraph fame, and the great merchant princes, such as Stuart, Astor, and Jay Gould, have made their homes here. 
Miss Warner, authoress of The Wide Wide World, has a cottage near Teller's Point. At Tappan Zee, the river opens out into a lake ten miles broad. The gloomy fortress of Sing Sing, the state prison, lies on an island near the shore. Croton Lake is close by and supplies New York with from 40 million to 60 million gallons daily through an aqueduct 33 miles long. The wooden sheds found at intervals along the banks are the great storehouses where in winter the ice is cut and kept ready to supply the vast consumption of New York. The beautiful bay of Haverstraw leads to the narrow defile and the northern gate of the highlands. In rugged and varied beauty, the mountains close us in on every side, overshadowing us with their wooded heights, maple and sycamore mingling with darker belts of pine, or a thick undergrowth of stunted oaks. They are so like the highlands that you look, but in vain, for the bracken and the firs. The glory of the Hudson is at West Point, says a well-known author, and I suppose there could not be a more beautiful situation for the military college of the United States, the Sandhurst of America, than at West Point. It stands on a commanding bluff, the river winding round three sides of the promontory in an almost impregnable position. From the southern gate of the highlands, green marshy fields with weeping willows trailing along the banks form the chief feature of the landscape, and we pass several thriving towns like Peekskill and Poughkeepsie. In the afternoon, blue and purple in the far distance, we saw the glorious range of the mighty Catskill Mountains, forming one unbroken series of snow-capped domes, hiding in their deep recesses many of nature's grandest secrets. The evening was closing in as the steamer passed under the swinging arch of the bridge at Albany, the chief town of New York State. Albany is chiefly remarkable for its very fine capital, which has been in process of building since 1871, and is still far from finished, though it has already cost an enormous sum. At the present time, everyone is talking about Albany, owing to the fact that Grover Cleveland, the newly selected Democratic candidate for the presidency, is the governor. Delaware House gave us shelter for the night, and at 8 a.m. the next morning, we were in the cars on our way to Niagara. This was our first experience of American railways. There is no distinction of classes in the railway company's fares, but greater luxury is obtained by traveling in the drawing room or sleeping car, the former belonging to the Wagner, the latter to the Pullman Company, who make a separate charge which is levied by the special conductor. This is his only duty except to make himself a nuisance and generally objectionable. The beds are made up by an obliging colored porter. The cars are very long and run on 16 wheels. There is communication through the train, but it is only used by the condescendingly grand officials and the numerous news and fruit vendors who torment you with repeated exhibitions of their varied wares. The windows are so large that if open, dust and grit from the slack coal burnt by the engines smother everything, so that with the car full, and they hold from 20 to 30, the atmosphere becomes terribly oppressive. In winter, and when the stoves are lighted, it is even worse. The Americans are very proud of their railway system, but after traveling over most of their lines, it is impossible to see that we have much to learn from them. The traffic is conducted in a very happy-go-lucky style. 
there is an absence of civility with a superabundance of officials and a porter is not to be met with the traveler must carry his hand luggage himself the system of checking the baggage is however admirable a brass check attached to the trunk ensures its going safely to any destination however distant and only being given up on presentation of the duplicate which is in possession of the passenger our journey lay through the smiling valley of the mohawk river the operation of haymaking was going on in many of the fields we passed the hay was cut raked turned over unloaded and stacked by machinery the most convincing proof of the absence of hand labor throughout the vast continent of america from the farms of the east to the cattle ranches of the west there is the same cry for labor still greater is the demand for domestic servants american girls think nothing of serving in a store or at a railway buffet or even in a hotel they have their freedom at certain hours and when their work is done they are their own mistresses but domestic service they look upon as degrading it is almost wholly confined to irish immigrants a gentleman told us of a large mountain hotel where the waiting during the summer months of the season was done by an entire school of young ladies who at the end of the time returned with their salaries the term of wages is never used to pay for their winter schooling at syracuse we experienced for the first time the strange custom of running the train through a street in the heart of the city many lives are annually lost and terrible accidents occur frequently at the level crossings look out for the locomotive is on a large signboard but the public depend more upon the shrill whistle or the ringing of the engine bell the effect of these engine bells is very melodious when deep-toned and loud-voiced coming and going in a station they chime to each other friday july eighteenth clifton house niagara falls what a moment in a lifetime is that in which we first behold niagara and it is difficult with a very feeble pen to say anything superior to such a commonplace platitude even when in the presence of one of nature's most glorious works notwithstanding all written and said imagined or described niagara cannot be put into words cannot be conveyed to the imagination through the usual medium of pen and paper can only be seen to be even then but partially understood there is a blue river two miles wide without ripple or ruffle on the surface coming down from a great lake pursuing its even course there are breakers ahead little clouds then white foam sprayed into mid-air the contagion spreads until on the whole surface of the river are troubled waves noisily hurrying down down with ever-increasing velocity to the great canadian fall the mockery of those few yards of clear still water in a suction green as an uncut emerald a volume of water twenty fathoms deep is hurled over a precipice one hundred sixty feet high one hundred million tons of water pass over every hour with a roar that can be heard ten miles away and a reverberation that shakes the very earth itself into the seething cauldron below shrouded in an eternal mist there is neither speech nor language but their voices are heard in a minor key the american waters repeat the mighty cannonade and blending their voices mirror the sea-green color of the wooded precipices as they flow on their onward course long serpent trails of foam alone bear witness to the late convulsion 
the gorge is narrowing the waters are compressed into a smaller space they are angry and jostle each other they hiss they swirl they separate to rush together in shooting shower of spray and so struggle through the rapids a gloomy pool with darkling precipices of purple rocks forms a basin the waters are rushing too surely into that iron-bound pool the current is checked and turned back on itself to meet the oncoming stream a mighty whirlpool forms the waters divide under the current and one volume returns to eddy and swirl helplessly against the great barrier whilst the other volume more happy finds a cleft broadened now into a wide gateway and gurgling and laughing to itself glides away on a smooth course to lose its volume in lake ontario what a world renown that stream will always have a short course full of awful incident on the twenty fifth of july eighteen eighty three captain webb was drowned while attempting to swim the rapids diving from a small boat about three hundred yards above the new cantilever bridge he plunged into the stream the force of the current turned him over several times then he threw up his arms and sank crushed to death it is supposed by the pressure of the water the enterprising owners of the restaurant at the rapids have arranged with his widow to come over during the season to sell photographs opposite the spot where her husband perished goat island forms the division between the american and canadian falls the waters are rapidly eating away the banks and the rocky promontory which forms such a principal feature may some day disappear what a glorious junction it would be four years ago a large piece of rock in the center of the horseshoe came away and its symmetry was somewhat marred the three pretty little sister islands are joined by their graceful suspension bridges to goat island these islands lying out as they do amidst the roughest and most tumultuous part of the rapids have a magnificent view of the waters as they come tumbling down the hermit's cascade is connected with the pathetic story of a young englishman who coming one day to see niagara remained day after day overpoweringly fascinated unable to tear himself away he lived year after year forever within sight and hearing of the falls he is supposed to have perished in their waters whilst bathing one day but whether intentionally or not was never known i believe those who have sat and watched those tumultuous waters for any great length of time would understand the working of the spell on a sensitive brain Biddle stairs lead down to the cave of the winds it is awe-inspiring to watch the fall from below and yet this is only a streamlet of the great volume of the fall what must it be inside when the beating of the spray-like hail the roaring of the winds mingling with the thunder of the cataract form a combination of the majesty of the elements on earth after a morning spent amongst these terrifying wonders we had a quiet drive along the right bank of the river through cedar island the thunder and roar was succeeded by quiet pools and swiftly flowing currents calm and clear rippling in the afternoon sunlight weeping willows long grasses and bending reeds whispered in the cool breezes from the heights above we again surveyed the whole scene and returning home once more came under the spell of the mermaid looming white and mysterious in the gloaming niagara becomes very dear a child of the affections and to those who are unfortunate enough 
to have to picture niagara from description i should say efface mine quickly quickly i say and turn to that of anthony trollope of all the sights on this earth of ours which tourists travel to see at least of all those which i have seen i am inclined to give the palm to the falls of niagara in the catalogue of such sites i intend to include all buildings pictures statues and wonders of art made by men's hands and also all beauties of nature prepared by the creator for the delight of his creatures i know no other one thing so beautiful so glorious and so powerful we will go at once on to the glory and the thunder and the majesty and the wrath of that upper belt of waters go down to the end of that wooden bridge seat yourself on the rail and there sit till all the outer world is lost to you there is no grander spot around niagara than this the waters are absolutely around you if you have that power of eye control which is so necessary to the full enjoyment of scenery you will see nothing but the water you will certainly hear nothing else and the sound i beg you to remember is not an ear-cracking agonized crash and clang of noises but is melodious and soft withal though loud as thunder it fills your ears and as it were envelops them but at the same time you can speak to your neighbor without an effort but at these places and in these moments the less of speaking i should say the better there is no grander spot than this here seated on the rail of the bridge you will not see the whole depth of the fall in looking at the grandest works of nature and of art too i fancy it is never well to see all there should be something left to the imagination and much should be half concealed in mystery and so here at niagara that converging rush of waters may fall down down at once into a hell of rivers for what the eye can see it is glorious to watch them in their first curve over the rocks they come green as a bank of emeralds but with a fitful flying color as though conscious that in one moment more they would be dashed into spray and rise into the air pale as driven snow the vapor rises high into the air and is gathered there visible always as a permanent white cloud over the cataract but the bulk of the spray which fills the lower hollow of that horseshoe is like a tumult of snow the head of it rises ever and anon out of that cauldron below but the cauldron itself will be invisible it is ever so far down far as your own imagination can sink it but your eyes will rest full upon the curve of the waters the shape you will be looking at is that of a horseshoe but of a horseshoe miraculously deep from toe to heel and this depth becomes greater as you sit there that which at first was only great and beautiful becomes gigantic and sublime till the mind is at a loss to find an epithet for its own use to realize niagara you must sit there till you see nothing else than that which you have come to see you will hear nothing else and think of nothing else at length you will be at one with the tumbling river before you you will find yourself among the waters as though you belong to them the cool liquid green will run through your veins and the voice of the cataract will be the expression of your own heart you will fall as the bright waters fall rushing down into your new world with no hesitation and with no dismay and you will rise again as the spray rises bright beautiful and pure then you will flow away in your course to the uncompassed distant and eternal ocean 
oh my friend let there be no one there to speak to thee then no not even a brother as you stand there speak only to the waters end of section two